Good morning. Welcome back to Driving Theology. This is Mike and I am on my way to work on this beautiful December morning. What is today? Something like December 5th or December 6th. You know, I'm not even sure. Uh, but it is a Tuesday. It's about 9.20 and I'm leaving right on time uh, for my day of uh, mostly work. Uh, I'll tell you about my Tuesdays, uh, since you usually join me on Tuesdays. Uh, I go and I teach about an hour and a half, and then I have a, a two and a half hour long lunch. And where I'm at is, is even more in the country than where I work, so it's a little bit farther out afield. Uh, and by a uh, river, River where sometimes uh, I actually um, have a raft guide on, uh, and so I, I usually go out there and, and uh, set up a little lunch camp. So I, I take out my stove, boil some water, and uh, take out my AeroPress, my grinder, and grind up some coffee and make a make a fresh cup of coffee right there. Camp. Camp, uh, camp style, camp, camp stove style. <laughs> I got a little gas burner and, and I hang up my hammock and I bring a little lunch. And so I usually, uh, yeah, just uh, eat my lunch, take a little nap, uh, drink some nice fresh coffee, and enjoy the uh, lovely sunshine and the view. Uh, now, even here in you know, December, it's pretty cold here in Japan, so it's, I don't know what the temperature is in Fahrenheit exactly, but my guess is it's in usually the 40s, uh, 40s and 50s during the day. Uh, you can check if you want, but usually it's around, you know, something like 12 or 13 degrees Celsius uh, during the day, daylight hours. And, uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly what that is, but, uh, anyway, it's fairly warm, but if you've ever been in a hammock, you know that, uh, the great thing about a hammock is in the summer, the air moves below you and cools you from the bottom. And so it's, it's a very cool way to sleep in the summer, but <laughs> in the winter, uh, hammocks become really, really cold because that same uh, phenomenon. The wind moves below you. There's no insulation, uh, and you just get, you know, what we call cold butt syndrome or cold tail or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so you 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 do a lot of uh, uh, stuff to combat that. And one of the one of the things you do is you put an underquilt. It's a quilt that hangs below the hammock. Uh, that's usually uh, down of some kind, either synthetic down or down or whatever uh, and that uh, insulates the bottom uh, so that you can have you can be warm and toasty from the bottom and then you throw a sleeping bag or a quilt on the top and then you're warm and toasty from the top so anyway <laughs> I kind of uh, look forward to my uh, my Wednesdays because I, I I'm blessed enough to be able to do this who knows how long that lasts but uh, anyway, today's a nice sunny day, and hopefully it'll be a good day for that. And then 
hour nap, I jump in the car, go back and teach for another uh, three hours, uh, something like that, I guess three hours, two to, yeah, two to, two to five, ten, so a little over three hours. So I get five hours of work about in uh, with a two and a half hour lunch uh, in between. It makes for an interesting day anyway. where I get a lot of solitude during that two and a half hours. So anyway, that's that's how my Tuesdays usually go. So I usually record a podcast on the way, talk to you guys, uh, or used to be on the way back, but more often it's been on the way now. And uh, yeah, on the way back, I'll listen to uh, listen to some podcasts. Or, uh, books on audio. I've been li- listening to Bonheffer lately. Um, this uh, book that's a compilation of his uh, Advent or Christmas uh, sermons. Kind of an interesting guy, Bonheffer. Um, definitely a mixed bag when it comes to um, famous preachers or theologians out there. Um, He's, of course, deceased, and the manner uh, in which he died is, is uh, you know, movie-worthy. It's, it's, it's an amazing story. It was a, he died, uh, he was uh, executed by hanging in a German prison uh, just days, uh, if not hours, before the end of World War II. Four taking part in a plot to assassinate Hitler. <laughs> so as a, as a clergyman, uh, somehow he, he could see a theological justification for violence. Now, if you've been following me for a while, you know that uh, I no longer see any justification for violence at all. Uh, as far as um, what, how, how God acts in the world or uh, how he uh, desires for us to act. Uh, and of course that comes uh, mainly and, and as it should from the example of Jesus. Uh, and, and from this book I've been reading, uh, finally around a page... Uh, around page 1100 and I don't know 1120 maybe something like that Uh, this book called Crucifixion of the Warrior God Um, Crucifixion of the Warrior God and basically it's the idea that um, there is a way to read scripture that accounts for the violent depictions uh, either actively or passively of God in Scripture, uh, while upholding that all Scripture is God-breathed, uh, and that God abhors violence and does not participate himself in violence. Uh, it's a big thing, but uh, it's a big theological work. Like I said, it's long. I'm in volume two. Uh, more than halfway through volume two, finally. I Man, I'd love to finish this up before Christmas, but I still have probably 
400, three or 400 pages to go. Um, we'll see, we'll see what happens. But it's a, it's a work that's just been affecting me greatly. Uh, and it accounts for the violence uh, in, in many ways. One way that, that I've been reading about recently, it accounts for the violence uh, and attributes, attributes much of the violence that happens in the Old Testament, whether it's God's direct violence or violence that he condones the Israelites to do, or it seems that he condones the Israelites to do on his behalf, or even sometimes orders. Uh, it attributes that violence to uh, cosmic evil forces. Uh, and one place that we find these, uh, find references to these cosmic evil forces and even names them is in Job. Now Job, I believe, is is a poetic work of fiction, possibly uh, a parable, uh, or we might even call it, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't even know, but it seems to be a work that was created to uh, convey theological truths uh, while the core story remains fiction. Now it could be based on events that happened to a guy who lived and maybe his name was actually Job. Uh, but the, the fantastical ways that things happen uh, in that book and, and the fact that it's written by and large as poetry uh, tends to give me the, the opinion that uh, it's a it's it's not a work of, of fact it's not a historical account uh, but we know that it was a an important work that uh, affected both uh, Jesus and the Apostles and uh, and uh, the Jews as well there's an important work in their Canon and so we should uh, we should look at it closely uh, but in in job uh, once God uh, has been accused uh, of various things by Job, uh, he comes back with this uh, kind of speech about, you know, how how do you know what's been going on? You know, were you there when kind of stuff? Have you ever had to do this or had to do that? Or, you know, who are you? Who are you to tell me? this and that and this and that. And one of the things that God mentions uh, are two, two creatures. One is the Leviathan uh, and the other is the Behemoth. Um, and what Boyd does in his book is identifies these as references to ancient Near East deities that were known uh, to exist or I, I might be wrong. I might be misrepresenting what he says there exactly. So let me. Uh, he he may also be saying that that uh, there are references throughout Scripture of these beings. So they may be beings that uh, that were known to the people of the ancient Near East. Uh, but at any rate, they come across as beings that God has been holding at bay and battling. Uh, in order to keep humans safe for many, many years. In other words, this is something that's been going on that is hidden from human eyes that you have no uh, idea about. 
you don't know that I have to deal with this. You don't, you don't know what else is going on behind the scenes, in other words. Humans have a very limited scope of knowledge and vision uh, as to what is really going on in the cosmos. Uh, and, and so one way to read that is it has been that God is talking about the crocodile uh, and the um, hippopotamus. These have been these have been uh, hypotheses that have been put forth by various people over the years, and I've actually read that and looked at it. I'm like, yeah, I kind of see that, but then you know, there's there's a lot of uh, descriptive stuff there that obviously is beyond that. You know that that can't be just about that when it talks about fire, for example, coming from the nostrils and, and things of this nature. Surely it's got to be about more than just that. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, yeah, what, what Boyd uh, believes that these were actually cosmic, destructive, evil uh, beings, uh, spiritual beings, if you will, uh, who have been fighting God since the creation of the world. Uh, were God not to hold them back, they would have destroyed the world by now. But uh, God's, uh, however God does it, he has been holding them at bay, protecting mankind from them. Um, and so that that's a very interesting take on that. And, and there are lots of other, uh, other things that that come up in his book that really have just bowled me over. Layers upon layers uh, have been revealed to me that I did not know existed. And I think perhaps I'm open to them because I've always believed there are layers upon layers in in the scripture. Or not always, but I've I've believed that for quite some time. Um, And so, knowing this... When you, when you have a passage and you, you quote it and you say, well, it means this and nothing else, I think you're, you're always um, in danger of holding your beliefs a little too tightly uh, because of the nature um, of the revelatory properties of Scripture that they tend to reveal more and more in tend to reveal themselves as deeper and deeper as the reader becomes more and more uh, mature and aware of those the existence of different layers um, so anyway yeah there, this is a, a huge uh, cultural layer that has been missing that perhaps uh, early readers uh, or even contemporary readers of Job uh, and other books of the Bible would have caught, but because of the language difference, cultural difference, and I would say probably mainly because of the Enlightenment, uh, we are blind and deaf to a lot of the supernatural elements that exist in Scripture. Uh, Enlightenment is, is, you know, the the age of reason, as it's called, as a brought into question and is very skeptical about uh, anything having to do with uh, spiritual powers. 
uh, oddly enough, they're okay with God, um, but the existence of other spiritual powers is, um, let's just say, frowned upon. The belief of other spiritual powers is frowned upon. <laughs> or uh, at least they're very suspicious of anything like that. So, and that's very much my background. Sorry, I'm going to sip some lovely coffee here. Have some uh, Dominican coffee for the first time this morning. Mm. Man, that's good coffee. Uh, um, so yeah, I've been uh, uh, plotting through this uh, <laughs> behemoth work uh, by Boyd, and, and it really is has been a blessing so far, and I can't wait for him to wrap up uh, different things. So, you know, one of the one of his main arguments, uh, number one, uh, there there are human elements to be blamed for violence that's attributed to God in the uh, Old Testament, and number two, there are cosmic, uh, spiritual, uh, destructive, evil forces uh, that other uh, um, violence can be attributed to. So the question is, and, and Boyd has tried to answer this as best he can, answer this uh, as best he can, is why does the Bible say different? Why does the Bible seem to say different? That God did order, that God did condone. Uh, and his his main argument for this has been twofold. Number one, it's the uh, fallen cultural uh, worldview, if you will, of the people who wrote the Bible. And then it's the cruciform hermeneutic that allows God to accept himself to be portrayed this way in Scripture. Uh, he, he, he has conceded to be blamed to take the blame uh, for the violence, even though it is not, he is not to blame, right? He has taken the blame, even though he is not to blame, uh, because it is in his nature to bear the sins of mankind. It is in his nature to do that. So when the cross comes about and Jesus takes the sins of the, the world on his shoulders, uh, and crucifies them uh, on the cross. He did this because that is in his nature. He has always been that kind of a God. Uh, he has always been the God that would bear uh, the sins of his people uh, because this was the only way that he could stay close to them. Right? God uh, wanted to stay close so that he could bring about influence all of the events that would bring about the birth of the birth and the and the the execution of the Messiah uh, and so to remain close uh, he allowed himself to be portrayed and to be blamed uh, for the violence that was perpetrated in the Old Testament uh, which he had nothing to do with now Atheists will be quick to jump on the fact as well, if God is all-knowing and all-powerful and all-loving, all 
uh, then why didn't he stop it? And, and why didn't he come up with a different system uh, that would have worked? Uh, why, why did he allow sin to ever enter the world? If God created everything, then God created sin. And so this is an argument that comes up time and time again. Uh, and I think, I think the answer, and this has been uh, through several different uh, writers that, that I've come to believe this, uh, I would say Brad, Brad Jerzak is one of the first. Uh, his book, um, A More Christ-Like God, I highly recommend. Uh, and then, of course, this book, The Crucifixion of the Warrior God, uh, Brian Zahn's uh, Sinners in the Hand of a Loving God, uh, and uh, I would say also uh, Wayne Jacobson's uh, work as well, uh, uh, and all the guys involved in the Shack Project. Uh, I think all of that together has led me to understand that the nature of God is what we're missing in the equation. We have a faulty paradigm of who we think God is, and I know I've talked about this before, uh, but I want to briefly talk about it in, in relation to violence. Our paradigm, our faulty paradigm, uh, is usually stated quite simply, God is in control. Don't worry, God is in control. God created the world, therefore he is in control. Uh, and this in control uh, it doesn't take into account that, first of all, that we know even what that would mean, even if he, if he, even if he was in control. Uh, but what it doesn't, what what it also what it doesn't take into account is the person of Jesus. Jesus didn't control; he influenced, right? He dialogued, he conversed, he influenced, he taught, right? Jesus's very nature was not to force, but to convince, to convince people to live and to follow a better way, a better life. Uh, he did not brainwash people. Uh, he did not uh, possess people or have angels possess people, much like demons possess people. His way was to convince uh, and to influence for good because that's his nature. That's the nature of God. When God created the world, he created beings which he could converse with, he could influence, he could live with, right? Uh, and his nature is not to force, but to influence. And in that process, he oftentimes submits to the will of man. Now the very act of submission is voluntary. You cannot force submission. True submission is something that you choose to do or not do. Uh, and God, uh, and we see this in Jesus, and Jesus, again, remember, as Hebrews says, is the perfect image of the invisible God. Uh, 
God tried to influence us to do good once evil entered the world through Satan. Uh, and he continues to do so. That's his nature, to influence good, not to force it. He's, he's not a, a God who forces things so that he can get his way. He is a God who influences people, influences people, and tries to influence people, uh, and will eventually, through his influence, reconcile the, reconcile the world unto himself. Eventually, he will he will be successful on a large scale. And so, God's nature is not control. God doesn't control the earth because God is not a control freak. God is patient. He is loving. He is gentle. He is kind. Right? The fruits of the Spirit are called the fruits of the Spirit because the Spirit bears those fruits. And when the Spirit is living in us and we are submitting ourselves to the Spirit and to the life of the Spirit and to the life of Jesus, then we will also... Uh, show the fruits of the Spirit, right? That's that's what it is. You know, we're, when you want to be godly or godlike, that's that's what it means. That's how that works. Um, the fruits of the Spirit will be evident in your life because you have voluntarily submitted uh, your will to the will of God. Uh, and um, that's a great thing. So, so these works have convinced me that, that, and this sounds weird, but God actually does submit to the will of man, while all all the while trying to influence man to submit to His will. But He'll never force it because submission is a voluntary act, and caught up in that voluntary act, what oftentimes we re, we refer to as free will. Uh, is love. Love is bound up in the ideas of free will and and voluntary action. Uh, the essence of love uh, is bound up with those uh, those aspects. And we know that God is love. And if God is love, then He also uh, submits to our will, all the all the while trying to voluntarily. Uh, or, or all the while, all the while trying to influence us to voluntarily submit to His. Um, this is why uh, God, the Creator of the cosmos, the most powerful, wise uh, being on who has ever existed and who ever will exist, the, the being who is existence Himself. This is why He submitted to death on the cross because that's His nature. God, by His nature, is submissive. That's why we're we're asked to be submissive, because that's another fruit of the Spirit: submission. Uh, I know this rocks a lot of people's worlds, but theologically, uh, this is where I've been led. You know, this is this is where the the evidence has taken me. I have a, a house guest staying, um, who will be staying for quite some time probably, and she asked me yesterday, she said, you know, what are the rules? Uh, you know, what are, what are the rules of your house? I want to, you know, I want to be sure not to, you know, 
said, well, you know, we're not really rules people. You know, we don't really lay down any rules like that. It's not really how we do things. And I realize now that that probably would not have always been so, but I don't believe God is a rules person because I think rules are what take the place of relationship. Rules stipulate that you don't do this, 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 and this because I don't like that, that, this, or that. Right? But love and submissive love says, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to influence you by the way I live, by the way I live my life to do good, all the while accepting whatever you give me uh, and submitting to your will. Um, but I will, I will, I will live in such a way, hopefully, that will lead us to a point where it's not about rules, it's about living and accepting each other uh, and and being one with each other in mind, not just in the following of rules. I think this is what the people of Israel missed on Mount Sinai. Uh, I think I think God led them out of Egypt uh, and wanted to lead them to a promised land so that He could be, so so that He could dwell with His people, that they could have a relationship. But what the people asked was just you know. Tell us what to do and we'll do it. This is how they define the relationship. Tell us what to do and we'll do it. I don't think God ever wanted that. Even though he may have foresaw, he may have foreseen that this is how things were going to be. Uh, by looking at Jesus and the, the cruciform nature of Jesus on the cross, I feel like I have to conclude that that. God was after a relationship with the people of Israel, and He was—he wanted them to be uh, His children, uh, and He wanted to be their father in a much more real way than it worked out. He didn't want to be uh, a, a dictator and a judge and a theocrat. Uh, I think He wanted much more than that. But, but the people were not ready for that. They just wanted rules, and so God again submitted to what they wanted gave them this set of rules, uh, a set of rules that was so difficult to follow that no one's ever been able to follow the law, uh, with the intent of teaching us that law is not the ladder that will, that will help us reach the divine, that despite our actions, the divine has put himself on, on our level. He has dwelt with us. He has tabernacled with us. He has made his dwelling amongst us uh, so that we don't have to reach out to him, that we don't have to, to climb up to him. He has come to us. And part of this is bearing the sins of his people. He has to uh, take on the sins of his people in order to dwell with us. Uh, that's his nature. So far from uh, being a God who cannot even dwell where sin is because God is everywhere. That would mean God could not dwell anywhere. <laughs> uh, far from that, we see that Jesus came down and lived with us sinners and dwelt among us and came close and touched us uh, and ate with us uh, and died for us. 
with all of our sins on him. Uh, so God can dwell where sin is and not and not be corrupted by it. Uh, in fact, that that is the mission of Jesus. Well, I'm going to have to wrap this up here pretty soon. Uh, but suffice it to say, I'm enjoying this this book and being challenged by it uh, constantly. It is such a well-researched uh, book. Uh, it is somewhat academic in nature, but it, of any of the academic works I've read, and many of them I haven't been able to get through, this is by far the most accessible. Uh, in fact, I wouldn't, if I were just to read excerpts, I wouldn't necessarily call it uh, an academic work. I think uh, Boyd is written in a way that is very, very accessible. So, yeah. I'm going to have to leave it there and get in, uh, put on my uh, teacher's hat here in a minute and go teach some, some, some childs, some children. Anyway, thanks for listening and uh, we will uh, talk to you later. You guys have a wonderful Advent season, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye.